You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. In this episode, I will discuss a little bit about the believer's prayer life and how it relates to the second coming of Jesus. Now, prayer is a very comforting and powerful activity that God has designed for fellowshipping with his children, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I need to add that prayer is heard by God only from believers in Jesus. In the Old Testament, those who have relationship with God through personal faith in the Messianic promise, and of course in the New Testament, only born-again believers in Jesus Christ will be heard by God. And furthermore, only from believers who have no unconfessed sin in their life. Uh, there's a universal truth principle found at Psalm 66:18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'll leave it to you all to make application of that where you think it applies. Uh, Now, there are several categories of prayer that cover every aspect of our Christian life. But whether it is praise or giving of thanks, whether it is praying for others or for self, it all revolves around the principle of trust in what God has done and what he has promised to do. I grew up with the term faith rest. Faith rest is the attitude of resting confidently and joyfully in the character and the plan of God. The believer who expresses this attitude knows that God is in control and that his wisdom and timing will always govern each and every situation in life. Faith rest is, in fact, the general attitude that is expressed in all prayer activity. When this attitude is expressed in, uh, for example, petition prayer, that is praying for something to happen, either for others or for self, we rest confidently in knowing that it can actually move God to adjust circumstances in life to an outcome that would not otherwise be realized. James wrote, The empowered prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, whatever the outcome, that is, whether specific requests are granted or not, the trusting believer will rest assured that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. However, there are many situations in life that are unalterable simply because they are set to occur by the established plan of God. Faith rest prayer recognizes this and doesn't presume to appeal to God to adjust his plan. As the believer learns from God's word, he gains insight into the promises and the plan of God for both the present and the future, as well as understanding how God has worked in the past. Faith rest prayer is expressed toward the certainties within God's plan, while knowing that those certainties 
can't be altered. A good example is our attitude toward the second coming of Christ. The fact and timing of his arrival is established in the plan of God. It's so stated that way in the Bible. Uh, Paul wrote at 1 Timothy 6.15 uh, concerning the second coming of Jesus that it is an event that God will bring about at his own time. Jesus said about that time, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only, Matthew 24, 36. But of course, that was spoken at that time from the perspective of his humanity. At that time, he did not know the specifics of the father's timing. Of course, he is well aware of all things now. And while the believer is exhorted to wait for and patiently expect the arrival of the Lord, as at 1 Corinthians 1.7, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are not told to pray for its arrival. Instead, we express the faith rest attitude of Philippians 4.5, the Lord is near, and James 5.7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Well, in that faith rest expression, we realize that some things need to happen before the coming of the Lord will actually take place. James refers to it as the early and late rains in the uh, parable, as it were, concerning the farmer who waits for the produce. The rains have to come first. So the early and late rains have to come first before the Lord Jesus Christ will return. But we've talked about that before. He will return during a period of time that uh, Jesus called the tribulation. In fact, more specifically in Matthew 24, 29, after the tribulation of those days, uh, then there will be the cosmic signs and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, even the apparent watchword that occurs at 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Maranatha, should not be seen as a request or appeal, but as an expression of confidence and trust that Jesus will, in fact, return. There's a lot of misunderstanding about this expression, Maranatha, uh, since it is an Aramaic expression that has been transliterated into the Greek. Uh, first of all, A.T., Robertson, Vincent, and others indicate that it should not be connected with the phrase anathema, as in the King James Version. They are two separate expressions. So, some translate it as, come, Lord, which makes it appear to be an appeal or request for him to come, which, of course, is pointless because he's going to come when he has uh, determined to come. Others translate it as our Lord will come or as the Lord comes. But since it should be clear that we are not to actually pray for the soon return of the Lord, given that the timing of that event is cut into the stone of the Father's plan, as it were, 
This should be seen as simply the Aramaic statement of confidence and expectation, which is found all throughout the New Testament. With this statement, Paul seems to be expressing confidence that in God's perfect timing, Jesus will indeed come and render justice on those who did not love him. And he is patient to rest in God's timing, just as he exhorted others at 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of human hearts. And then praise will come to each person from God. Now, let's look at Revelation 22:20. 20. Come, Lord Jesus. This is another one of those imperative moods or commands that do not really command something to be done. It is simply a confident agreement with what Jesus just stated. Uh, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. And then the passage continues, amen, come Lord Jesus. The word amen is another transliteration from the Hebrew. The Hebrew verb is amen and uh, means to believe or trust. It became part of Christian liturgy and basically affirms an agreement with what was previously said. It is often rendered as simply, I believe it. So after Jesus states the fact that he is indeed coming again, John wrote, I believe it, and then adds, come Lord Jesus. Uh, perhaps colloquially, <laughs> we could say, okay, Lord, I'm on board with that. And of course, understanding the visions he had just received, John knew that Christ's return was totally dependent on the exact and certain timing of God's plan. At 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Paul explained the certainty of the Lord's arrival and the rapture of believers. And in that passage, he does not exhort us to pray for it to happen, but he does exhort us to, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The comfort comes from the faith-rest attitude toward this certain reality of God's plan. Consider the Christian's view of suffering and death. We know that absent from the body is face-to-face -face with the Lord, according to 2 Corinthians 5.8. And we put the timing and manner of our death entirely in his hands. We don't pray to die in order to be with him. Uh, most certainly the promise at Psalm 23.4 is comforting when truly believed by us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no harm, for you are with me. Of course, some who are in extreme suffering, as in a terminal death situation, they, they might pray to die. But for a trusting believer, such a prayer would be simply a matter of expressing total trust in his wisdom and timing. Uh, there are many degrees of suffering that many of us will face during our life, and especially if we encounter the future tribulation. But we need to keep our focus on the bigger picture. From Romans 8, 18 through 25, we know that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Uh, we learn that the trusting believer will have the attitude, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. 
But the faith rest prayer attitude should be, with endurance, we eagerly wait for it, just as is written at verse 25. And of course, this is talking about the return of the Lord and the uh, resurrection that will take place at that time through the rapture. Now, concerning the events leading up to the return of Jesus, it's certainly a sure thing that Michael will kick Satan out of heaven. It is certain that Satan will empower the beast. It is certain that the beast will take his stand in the temple of God and set up the abomination of desolation. And it is certain that at an unknown day and hour, the decree of God will cut short the tribulation. The cosmic signs will appear and announce the coming of the Lord. And then Jesus will arrive in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And then he will send forth his angels to gather all his elect ones out from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. The timing of these things is not dependent on any believer's petition prayer, but on the timetable that God has established according to his perfect wisdom and plan. Well, now, relating to praying for the Lord's return, is the example prayer that Jesus taught to the disciples at Matthew 6.10. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.9-13 is usually called the Lord's Prayer, but to be sure it is not something that he prayed. This teaching by Jesus is a model or example prayer and not designed to be ritually recited. If Jesus had intended for this to be a ritual prayer to be recited word for word, then God would have preserved it word for word in Luke's account at Luke 11, 2 through 4. But the principles stated in the prayer are what should be expressed in the believer's prayer life. And the example is for all believers, not only for those to whom Jesus was speaking, but for all past and future believers as well. The imperative mood, which is usually the mood of command, is used for the verbs in this example prayer to express a humility desire on the part of the one who prays. It is not telling God to do something. It is expressing praise, the desire for God's viewpoint to be spread throughout the earth. And it expresses confidence that God will take care of us and provide for us on his terms. So at verse 10, your kingdom come, which is an aorist active imperative in the Greek, it's explained by the next phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not talking about the future earthly millennial kingdom. It is not asking God to bring his earthly kingdom. It is praying for the influence and impact of God's viewpoint and authority to be felt throughout the world. That is his kingdom. The kingdom of God is the realm in which he exists, the integral, intrinsic and fundamental, and perhaps even the term spiritual can be used. The uh, integral kingdom of God has existed from eternity past as God's absolute authority, power, and viewpoint. Psalm 145.13 declares this absolutely, 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Although the term kingdom of God does not occur here, or for that matter, anywhere in the Old Testament, it is certainly referring to God's kingdom. And Jesus taught about relationship with God through uh, our responsibility of changing the mind and believing in him as the savior of the world, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. This is the gospel of relationship with God through faith in Christ. It's not gospel of an earthly kingdom. He, he did not teach about an earthly kingdom. And he did not talk about deliverance from Rome, which sometimes is uh, brought up. He talked about the here and now kingdom of God's authority and viewpoint, present and available for entrance into through faith in him. That is why both John and Jesus told the people to repent, which means to change your mind. Change your mind about God and about his kingdom. It is here, now, and entrance into it is available to anyone who will believe in Jesus. Uh, we've all learned John 3. You don't enter into it unless you are born again. That is, unless you receive new life, which is everlasting life in the context through faith in Christ. At Luke 18, 17, Jesus used the expression, receive the kingdom of God. That indicates a faith acceptance of the gospel invitation and entrance into that realm of relationship with God. Accordingly, at the very moment that someone believes in Christ, they receive everlasting life and enter into the kingdom of God. And then throughout his ministry, Jesus taught extensively how to live in the kingdom of God right now while living here on earth. Basically, the believer is to live with the attitude of seeking to promote the value system of the kingdom of God. The value system of God's kingdom is righteousness, justice, mercy, and love. These characteristics are inherent within God's very essence. And his life should, that is the, the believer's life, should revolve around promoting God's righteousness in the world. And, and thus he should be representing the standards of God's kingdom here on earth as he lives according to what the Bible calls the royal law of love. Such believers are designated as a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old, Matthew 13, 52. Uh, that means that he couples Old Testament truth with New Testament truth. Christ's presentation of the kingdom was a here and now reality that involved forgiveness of sin. And it involved relationship with God, as recorded in John. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. He said, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. It involved the possession of everlasting life. Everyone who believes in him has everlasting life, John 3.15. It involved the transfer from darkness, the kingdom of darkness, the authority of darkness, to light, to the kingdom of light, to the authority of light, 
John 12, 46. Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And then he taught the standards for living here on earth as citizens of that kingdom of light. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, teaches us how to live here on earth in the kingdom of God. So returning to the phrase, may your kingdom come, the prayer pattern is not praying for the arrival of God's kingdom or the return of Jesus. It is expressing the desire that God's truth be spread abroad on the earth. This is praying for success in spiritual and moral teaching through the ambassadorship activity of believers. At Matthew 6:33, we are exhorted to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, all of us should be praying this way. And it's not asking for God's kingdom of light to arrive. For at that time, and now, it was already here in the person of Jesus and through his teaching. And Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. That is, it has arrived. He told the Pharisees, the kingdom of God has come upon you. At Matthew 12, 28. And at Luke 17, 21, Jesus told the people, the kingdom of God is among you. That is, it's in your presence. So as Jesus ministered the kingdom of God, um, it was actually among them. It was represented by his works and his teaching. And after the resurrection, the same thing is a reality as the church promotes the viewpoint and authority of the kingdom of God by teaching and living God's truth here on earth. As Paul wrote it, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul did until his death, according to Acts 28, 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not teaching about the, any earthly kingdom. He was teaching about living, well, first entering into the kingdom and then living according to the standards of God's viewpoint. And, and that is how we should approach the certain return of our Lord. Now, in a previous episode, I taught from Luke 21, 36. But stay alert at all times, praying that you will have strength to escape all these things that you, that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Uh, the prayer is not for Christ to come, but for us to have spiritual strength to be prepared to meet him when he does come. Jude uh, 20 and 21 put it this way. But you, beloved, building yourselves up by your dedicated faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to everlasting life. Summarizing what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and holiness? Looking for and promoting the coming of the day of God. 
Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unscrupulous people and fall from your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence for entrance into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a truthful heart and full assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, that represents salvation, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 